the truth and what happens in our lives when we do that. So we have to understand this conflict between the world and God regarding this truth. So when we contrast those two things, and what we want to see very first thing this morning is this. When we contrast those two things, you know, the truth and absolute truth and nothing but the truth, God expects, doesn't he? I'm going to say he does more than that. He demands that we embrace the idea that there is absolute truth. Why? Why would God demand that we look at the idea, embrace the idea that there is absolute truth? It's pretty simple. God's word is what? It's truth. Okay? Everything he says, everything he promised has come true. And everything that he has said about future events will come true. A truth that can only be found in Jesus Christ. See, God's truth, his truth attempts to arouse us from a sleep. And I think that's the problem in the world today. There's so many people in the world today, and I'm going to say even Christians and even churches, that are kind of dozing off, just kind of going with the times, and we kind of just kind of hang out, and we kind of say, well, that's their idea, and if that's what they want to believe, that's okay, and pretty soon what they want to believe gets into the system, and becomes acceptable because more and more people talk about it and then it kind of fades into the church a little bit and then we kind of forget what absolute truth really is and I think when we look at absolute truth it's just God trying to wake us up and kind of shake us a little bit saying no wake up see what's going on understand that the truth that we have to face is the truth that we need to see about ourselves but when we do Meaning we have to change in our story, in the text that we want to look at this morning. Jesus has been in Jerusalem for the Jewish Passover. And so they've been traveling for days. They were headed home to Galilee when he and his disciples stop at this little town called Sakar around Jacob's well simply to rest. And Jesus sent his disciples on to the town of Sakar to buy some food, to get preparations for the rest of the day. And he remained at this well all alone. Not too unusual. The disciples are used to Jesus saying, you go on, I'm going to stay here by myself, maybe to rest, maybe just to catch his breath and what's going on. But he finds himself alone. And it was a good place to be alone at this well. The Bible says in our text, it was the sixth hour, which is about noon. And so it's the heat of the day for this area. Now understand, cities were built around these wells for water sources. And we're told that women would often gather at these wells in the morning, in the coolness of the day. And this said they would talk, and some commentaries actually use the word gossip. You know, they talk about other people, and I'm not saying just ladies do that, guys do that too, so I'm not picking on ladies here. But that's what they wanted to do, and that's what they were doing. And so that's what was happening in here. Jesus knew he'd be by himself, it's at the heat of the day, nobody else was coming along. This day is different. And understand, this is Jacob's well. It was out in the country. It's out in the middle of nowhere. Noon was not a time when the women gathered for such tasks. So he's by himself. Maybe he's focusing on prayer. Maybe he's just gathering his thoughts. Maybe he knows things are going on later. So he's just kind of hanging out. Then comes along this lady, this woman in our text. In the middle of the day. Yes, it's unusual. And she's a little surprised to see Jesus. And I think Jesus is surprised to see her because of the well's location and the time of day it was. No one else should have been there. It should have been alone time for him. 
But here is a rabbi standing beside the well she intends to use, and she probably is thinking, what is he doing there? And she's probably kind of regretting, you know, okay, what now? Why him? But more to the point, you have to ask the question on the other hand, what was she doing there at noon, at the heat of the day, when it wasn't the popular time to be there? Why didn't she get to water during the morning hours uh, like the other ladies did? There would have been these ladies there, and they were talking, they were gossiping, and they were talking about the other people in town, and she probably knew because of who she was that she was probably the one being talked about around the well in the morning. She probably understood that. So why go outside the city in the heat of the day? She just needed to do that because she knew nobody else was going to be there. It's a good possibility that she didn't go in the morning because that's when the gossip was going to happen. That's when all the ladies are going to be talking because they knew her reputation and we know her reputation. We've read the story, right? When Jesus asked her, we get her husband. She goes, I don't have a husband. He goes, I know you've had six, and the one you're living with now is not your husband, you know, and all those things, how that works. So we have to understand this lady and the things she's going on in her life. So she's avoided talking to anybody. She'd rather not talk to anybody in town. But this man posed no threat to her. Jesus didn't pose a threat. Nor was he an outsider who wouldn't go, wouldn't know her reputation, but she knew he was a Jewish rabbi. And those men never talked to women, much less a Samaritan half-breed like her. But then he talks to her. Understand, it's a polite question. He just says, will you give me something to drink? Pretty easy. Pretty simple. No real big deal. But the shocking part of this question is Jews just didn't talk to Samaritans. And she says as much. In verse 9 she says, you are a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? And that was the only excuse Jesus needed to talk to this woman about her soul. And catch what she says. He says in verses 13 and 14. He says, if you knew the gift of God and who it is who asked you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Jesus went on to say, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. I love that text. And many commentaries on this conversation between Jesus and this woman and the majority, I presume that this woman's comments were innocent conversation on her part. Okay, just kind of innocent. She was just going along with it. And another commentary, another person that I read had a different viewpoint. And again, I don't want to offend anybody by this, but this woman wasn't born yesterday. And she looks at Jesus, I think, and on the other hand, it's just not innocent. And she thinks, this boy doesn't even have a cup to get water from this well. In other words, he must not be real bright, coming in the heat of the day, coming to the well without even a cup to get a drink. So it's not as innocent as we want to say. And understand, she's a worldly woman. She's used to having men's attention. And I believe that her lifestyle would influence what she thinks is happening here. And I think, and I think she believes that even though this man, Jesus, is a Jewish rabbi, she shouldn't be talking to him and he shouldn't be talking to her. I think in the back of her mind, she's wondering, is he making a pass at me? Is he trying to pick me up? 
You know, just her thought process. Years ago, you know, just talking about how we think, um, when I was at Hayworth, and uh, the youth minister and I decided to take all the junior high kids down to Knights Action Park. It's a water park down in Springfield, Illinois. And so we loaded up all the kids and two or three different vehicles. I had my daughters and four or five other girls, and Mike, our youth minister, got to have all the boys. I was smarter that day in those days, you know. Let him have all the boys. So we get down to Springfield, get off on the exit we're supposed to get off our night's action park, and it's 9, 10 in the morning, and there's a Hooters restaurant right there. Mike calls me. He's laughing his head off. He goes, all these boys want to stop for lunch at 10 in the morning, at Hooters restaurant. It's like, oh, give me a break. So we get to Knights Action Park, and what makes this so funny is how you know, people think and how we do things. And we get there, and we pick out four or five loungers that's open, kind of in the corner, because we have junior hires, and we really didn't want people to know they were with us. And on this one, just outside of our area, right next to us, really, is a young 18-year-old babysitting some kids, these junior high boys don't even recognize she's there. She's just getting there unloading. She takes off her outer thing in this skimpy two-piece bikini. And Mike are going, I'm glad we're here together. You know, so we, you know, we have witnesses. Those junior high boys never noticed her all day. You know, because they were thinking about the water park. And I think this lady's doing the same thing. I think she's projecting some things, and she's probably thinking, why would this guy talk to me? He knows maybe who I am and kind of the lifestyle I live, and so he's kind of picked me up. But this woman, I think, as we look at her, is flattered that she's saying he finds me attractive. Maybe this man would supply what she lacked in her life for so long. So she kind of decides to play along. She smiles, bats her eyes, and complies. And Coyley replies this. She says, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. That's not the water Jesus was talking about. But she's saying, give me this water so I don't get thirsty again. I think she thought he was interested in her, and he was. Just not the way she thought. See, understand, Jesus had come to that well on that day to meet her. And you got to love that. Jesus went to that well on that day to meet her. He knew where she had been. She, he knew how she had lived, how she had been treated, how she had grown weary of rejection and the whispering that went on behind her back. He knew her lifestyle. He knew what was happening. He knew all the things about her life. And I think he knew deep down this lady desired. And more than that, she thirsted for change like the deer pants for water I think he knew this lady needed that she wanted it with all of her heart but she just didn't know how but when we look at it for that kind of change she that needed to take place in her life she needed to face the truth she needed to face the truth about what was going on in her life. She needed to know who she was and what she had done and that it was Jesus was about to give her this water where she would thirst no more. And Jesus smiles at her at this point after she says that. He says, go, call your husband and come back. His comment was like somebody throwing a bucket of ice water on her at that point. In spite of the heat of the day, her voice kind of turns cold and she says, I don't have a husband. 
Why now that's true, Jesus says. He says, you are right when you say you don't have a husband. The fact is, you've had five husbands, and the man you are now is not your husband. You can see her kind of get nervous. She thought she'd been safe. She thought she knew what was going on. But here's the ugly truth of her past. Here's the truth about her presence, and it's staring right at her. It's looking at her right in the face, staring her down. Is the face of a Jewish rabbi. And to her, I'm sure she was saying, man, this truth is ugly. She's probably saying, I don't want to talk about it. So she thought she would change the subject. And she probably thought, she was probably educated to, a, to an extent. She probably thought it shouldn't get hard to get this rabbi going. They all like to argue theology. And hey, what better topic to argue than whether worship on this temple, in this temple, or in Jerusalem, or on this mountain was acceptable? And bashfully, she changes the subject. Sure, the woman said in verses 19 and 20. I can see that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. And here Jesus wanted to talk to her about her life, and she ducks. Jesus just simply wants to tell her that he loves her and that there's a God who wants to forgive her and there's a God who wants her to be in her life. And what she does is she just ducks away from the truth. And Jesus isn't about to be thrown off track. His essence is he tells her this. He says, lady, this isn't about religion. It's about being honest with God. Listen to what he says. He says, believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will worship the Father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. He says, yet a time is coming and has come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. He says, God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. Now, in essence, he is rebuking her. He says, don't play games with me. Don't play games with God. He says, I'll not have any part of it. If you can't be honest with him, it won't matter where you worship. And that's true. If, we, if we're not honest with God, if we're not honest with ourselves, it doesn't matter where we worship. He seems to be saying, you have a choice to make. And he tells us this. You have a choice to make, but you don't have all day to make this choice and once more she tries to deflect the conversation almost apologetically she says in verse 25 i know that the messiah called christ is coming when he comes he will explain everything to us then jesus quietly says i who speak to you am he in other words he's telling her i am the messiah in other words, if you want God's mercy and God's forgiveness and you want to change your life into something that you don't have to be ashamed of, Jesus is saying, then you need me. You need me as your Savior. Something happened to her at that moment. I think it's hard to say what, exactly what it was, but having been confronted about her life, about her sin, about her need for truth, something breaks inside her. Finding a convenient opportunity to slip away when Jesus' disciples would appear she runs back to town and corners everyone she can find. Now, what I love about this story is we know her past. We know what's going on. We know most of the townspeople were probably wondering what she was doing anyway. 
But here's the lady with of ill repute. She had a bad reputation. She goes into town and says, you must come and see this man. He's the Messiah. You need to hear what he has to say. I think a lot of the townspeople probably said, why should we believe you? What were they saying? Why should we believe you? You're a sinner. Why should we believe you? Look at your life. But she says this. He told me everything I did. He knew about my past, and it doesn't matter. He didn't care. I suddenly felt so at peace and so forgiven. This must be the Messiah. And as a result of her comments and relentlessness, the entire town, it says, turned out to see Jesus. You got to love this story. They were so impressed by who he was and what he said that they begged him to stay with them for two more days and to teach them. And it's suspected that many of those people in that town was part of the early church that was started later. Now, what's all this mean to us? I mean, what can we learn from this story about Jesus and this lady at the well and the heat of the day that changes her life around? One, she brought a community to Christ. But I love how Jesus treated her. See, one of the things that we can learn is this. The only thing that will heal the hurts of people's lives is the truth. I mean, John 8, 32 says, You shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. What kind of truth do people need? That we're sinners. That each and every one of us are sinners. Because Romans 3, 23 says, We all sin and fall short of the glory of God. See, when the woman at the well was confronted by her sin and came face to face with the idea that Jesus was the Messiah, it changed her and she ran back into town she told her friends she told the people that didn't like her about who jesus was the second thing is it tells us that people rarely face their sin on their own rarely will somebody come to an idea that they need to change by themselves and sometimes they need friends family to love them enough to tell them what they're doing is wrong. Now I'm going to tell you right here, right now, people don't like telling you telling them they're sinners. Why? I mean, why don't people like telling them that they're sinners? What have we said about sin? Sin is what? Fun. So why should I change what I think is fun? Or we like it. It's not that big of a deal. No big deal. But it's not to Jesus. So how many sitting here actually like telling people that they're sinners? Probably none of us. I hope none of us, because it's not the easiest thing to do. And yet here, Jesus confronted this woman with her sin, and it changed her life. If he hadn't confronted her, she would have continued in the life that she was living, the same old way, facing the same old fears, the same old hurts, and ultimately she'd end up in the same destination. And that's what Jesus didn't want. But also, look how Jesus confronted her. I like this. Number one, he didn't gossip about her. He didn't go talk to other people about it. He didn't go to the town and say, yeah, 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 I know, and all that. He confronted her with love. He didn't talk to others about her sin. He talked to her about it. And you'll notice the disciples, even when they came back around, the disciples didn't know about her past until sometime later, until probably other people 
talk to them. And you have to love that. Two, he spoke to her in love. Ephesians says that we should speak the truth in love. And that's hard to do, but we still need to do it. And lastly, he looked at her through the eyes of God, not the eyes of men. You see, men had always seen this woman as unworthy, as sinful. Jesus saw her as a child of God that he wanted to rescue. He told his disciples, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. This woman was why he came. And that's the truth. And that's why Jesus came, to seek and to save the lost. Too often we talk about people rather than talk to them about their sins. And we need to start looking at people through the eyes of God. I saw on Facebook, I think this last week or the week before, somebody said, when you're done gossiping about me, pray for me so I can be as perfect as you. I thought, ooh, that's, yeah. How true is that? When you're done gossip about me, pray for me so I can be as perfect as you because so many people think they're perfect and we're not. And we have to get used to that. So here's the truth and nothing but the truth. God loves us. God wants to forgive us. But he's also going to confront us with the truth about our lives. And here's our choice. We can either listen to the truth or we can reject the truth. I can't remember the movie, but there was a movie where you could take a red pill or a green pill. The green pill was truth and the red pill was denying the truth. And that's kind of what we have a choice of. Are we going to accept it or deny it?